morning, everyone. Lovely to have you here this morning. Got the rocking going on. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 1. So I don't think I've ever um, I don't think I've ever preached on this one before, but you will have heard. Um, generally, at the end of every every time I preach, at least, then and it's become a bit of a thing across the church. Is I'll use one phrase that has three words in it. Generally, it's grace and peace, which most of you will have heard if you've attended at least once. Uh, you probably will have heard that, and I want to speak about that this morning um, because probably about fourteen. Maybe 14 years ago. So for some of you in the room, it was before you were born, potentially. Others, um, small fry number of years compared with the number you've lived. So uh, bear with me. About 14 years ago, um, I, was, I was on a bit of a journey in my, uh, in my faith. Um, actually, it went on for a period of maybe about four or five years. Um, of really rediscovering, I guess, the core and the heart of the gospel um, because I grew up in I grew up in the church. I grew up. Uh, my mum and dad pastored and led a church, and all I you know I was born on the mission field. So, my whole life has been immersed in in the culture of uh, of church and what that looks like. And it's only been probably in the last um, fifteen or so years that uh, maybe sixteen that I've really started to ask some questions, some deep questions about, about my faith and, and what it actually means for me on a day-to-day basis. Not, and what I mean by that is not just a set of rules or beliefs that I hold to and, and that, but, and, and I have mental assent to, but something that actually influences the way I live my life every day. Because I began to understand more and more that Jesus didn't come to give us a set of rules of how to live. He came to show us the best way to live. And that when I spent time reflecting on Jesus's life and then, then analyzing mine own in comparison with it, I saw there was this pretty big gap in some areas where I could say, yep, I believe in Jesus and stuff, but I haven't yet applied how he lived to change how I live. And so one of the key things for me was, uh, was I listened a long time ago to a message by a man named uh, Rob Bell. Now, I know some people will be maybe polarized by him and whatever. Um, I, it's not about Rob Bell. It's about what God spoke into my heart through a message he preached. And it was on grace and peace. And he started, um, and, and he just sent me on a journey of, of my own personal life of understanding what grace and peace meant. And particularly highlighted because Paul spent so much of his life talking about grace and peace. In fact, if you read every one of his letters, and we're going to read a few of them this morning, every single one of them that he writes starts with a salutation to the people he's writing to that says grace and peace to you from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ or some, those kinds of words. But it always has the phrase grace and peace to you. And so in, in Philippians, we'll start there. I just want to jump around a few and you'll, you'll see what I mean by this. In Philippians 1 Verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, 
together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans, if you jump back a few books to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, he starts off his letter to the believers in Rome and he says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, colon, this gives you a breath, Jesus Christ our Lord. How do oh man, start your email with that one day. That'd be awesome. Um, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that, receive, uh, that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can step one book to the right in your Bibles um, or slide it across uh, if you're on a device. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Woo! Anyone here named Sosthenes? I think that's a name. Someone prophetically needs to call their child Sosthenes. What a name. Awesome. Must have been significant because Paul names him. Uh, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you follow through, you can go to 2 Corinthians. He uses the same phrase. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians 1 and 2, Timothy 1 and 2, Titus, Philemon. Every single one of them, he uses the phrase grace and peace to you. And so I was like, well, Paul's a bit of a legend in the Christian circles. And if he's, he's so committed to this phrase, grace and peace, I needed to explore that and understand what he actually meant by that. And I know a few weeks ago, Mark gave us, gave us a message. Uh, we gave two messages, actually. And he spoke in the first one about grace and the second one about righteousness. And that those two things, if we can get our heads around that, those actually become core to who we are as, as followers of Jesus, grace and righteousness. I want to add to that this morning, the idea of grace and peace. And the reason why every week I have got to a point where I try to use it as a declaration of blessing that I speak over you is because if Paul believed that it was powerful enough for every one of his letters that we have a copy of to begin it with that, then the least I can do is finish every one of my messages with a similar vein. So I want to unpack it a little bit this morning about what I've come to understand the idea of grace and peace being. See, grace in its original, in its original language here and the one Paul uses is a Greek word, which is charis. That's the Greek word. It comes from a root word meaning rejoice. And there's, there's often a number of uh, different interpretations of that. Mark mentioned one, which was um, God's unmerited favor. There's many, you know, there's the acronym of it, God's riches at Christ's expense. There's a couple of others that I want to, do, want to say, and um, 
The first one is this idea that it means joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, acceptance. Joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, acceptance. That Paul, when he's saying that, he's declaring it over you and over me. The second one, favor done without expectation of return. You know, the amazing thing about the grace of God is he's given us all of his favor and he has no expectation of any return from us. Oh, that's incredible. Do you not? It's given him, given everything of his favor and his, his joy, his pleasure, his gratification, his everything he's given to us and he has no expectation of anyone in humanity to ever respond to that. My personal favorite one, which I've spent a lot of time uh, reflecting on, and this is by a, a Greek theologian. I figure because he's Greek, he probably understands Greek better than most. And if the original language was Greek, then probably a good idea. And his definition of grace was the absolutely free expression of the love of God, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of God. The absolutely free expression of the love of God, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of God. That's incredibly powerful. But that's what God has shown us and declared over us and what I want to declare over us as a community of people and I want to declare it over the people that I interact with. Grace. And peace. Peace in in the original Hebrew language was the word shalom, which was this idea of a bringing together of wholeness, of, of a restoring of brokenness back to wholeness, this idea that peace brings harmony. In Greek, it's the word irene, which is either translated as harmony or every kind of good. Or every kind of good. So when Paul declares grace and peace, he's saying, Joy, pleasure, gratification, a full experience of the absolutely free expression of the love of God that's only found in His bounty and benevolence to us and every kind of good. How many of you want to receive a bit of that grace and peace? That's the kind of thing that I want to characterize my life that that when I interact with people, that they, they feel the grace and peace of God. You know, one of the things uh, I learned a little while ago now is that if I'm carrying something of the, of the presence of God in my life, I have an ability to impart that to someone else. Just the way God works. He's, he's called us to be vessels who carry His grace and His peace and His, His spirit to people around us. And so we can impart that. We can bless people with what we carry. And if, if we're people that are carrying grace and peace, how many of you know that this world needs an extra dose of grace and peace at the moment? An extra dose of joy, pleasure, gratification, acceptance, and every kind of good. And add a bit of dose of harmony in that as well. We all need someone to speak God's grace and peace over our lives. My challenge for us this morning as a congregation, how are we going with blessing each other with grace and peace? I want to have a look at um, Paul's life because 
uh, initially, because I, I, in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, it says Paul is speaking. It's, a, it's amazing. Paul uses grace and peace at the beginning of every letter, and yet many of those letters were written from a place of imprisonment. He was in prison. He was in chains. He'd been beaten. He'd been <laughs> tortured. He was... And, and, and if you know anything about Roman prisons of the first century, they were not a pleasant place. You didn't get Sky TV and you didn't get three meals delivered to you every day. The only way you got a meal was if you had friends and family who would drop something off to you and look after you because the Romans definitely didn't. They were horrific places and yet in the middle of that, he is declaring over every person. He's in the middle of this situation. He's declaring over every person who would read his letter, grace and peace to you. And this is what he says in, in Acts, uh, Acts 20, uh, verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. <laughs> Yippee! How would you like that to be a tourist and know that every city you go to, uh, prison, hardship? I think most of us wouldn't go to that city. Especially Holy Spirit's telling you that. But he, he says that and he says, however, in spite of what's facing me, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That for Paul, he faced all that he faced because he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to testify of the grace of God. He faced everything he did because that was something within him. He had so had a revelation of the amazing grace of God, that free gift, that undeserved favour, that, that, that sense of joy, of pleasure, of God's presence with us, that is an absolutely free expression of the love of God. That was what he was committed to expressing and testifying of. He gave his life for that. He faced hardship in prison and he went and he continued to go. He continued to go. He continued to go because he had a revelation of what grace meant. And he wanted to testify of it. You know, I was reading this and... <laughs> 14 years ago, and part of the journey of my life was, as a leader, do I, am I committed to testifying to the grace of God or am I committed to testifying about something else? About my beliefs about God? About my understanding about God? Or am I committed to testifying first and foremost and the message that comes out of my life is that the grace and peace of God are what you need. And I had to ask myself the question because I read Paul says that I don't have a life where I'm facing prison and hardship every day. In fact, the worst sometimes I get is a little bit of personal criticism. Which really, when you think about it, compared with prison and hardship is, pff, really? I mean, Paul went through, they, in one of his stories in Acts, they threw him off a cliff. And because he didn't die falling to the bottom of the cliff, they then threw stones down at him to make sure he died. Even then it didn't work because he still lived. 
It's been a little bit sore afterwards, I reckon. But after doing that, he still decides, doesn't matter. The grace of God is so important. I want to move on and go to the next city. And then they'll throw me in prison and give me some hardship. That's all right. Because the grace of God is powerful and the grace of God needs to be heard by everyone. And that was his message. How are our lives going with that testimony of the grace of God? Is that the sound that echoes out of your life? You know, I found myself incredibly challenged as a leader and a pastor and the way that I interacted with people, the way I lived my life, was I demonstrating, was I testifying to the grace of God that I have tasted and declaring that same grace over every person I met. I want you to experience grace and peace and all that is. And the second thing this morning, I'll speak there. I've got another three after this, but I'll finish with this one. As I want to go to Jesus' life and I want to look at Luke chapter 23. And this is Jesus in the middle of being tortured to death. He's in the middle of being on the cross, the ultimate suffering of that time that had been invented by humankind was crucifixion. And he's right in the middle of it. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 33, and and this is what happens. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The other thing I realized when looking at grace for myself, I looked at Jesus and how he responded to people. (laughs) And this is probably the ultimate of an expression of grace and peace. Is when the very people who had nailed him to a cross, who had taken out the nails, picked up a hammer, smashed it through his wrists and through his feet and then lifted up the piece of wood that he was hanging on and slammed it into the ground who had whipped him, who had beaten him until he was beyond recognition really as a human, well, as Jesus. That those people were then taken, they'd stripped him of his clothes and now they were dividing and casting lots for his clothes because they knew he'd die soon. And in that environment, the grace and peace that is testified is expressed in forgiveness. Now, I read it and I go, Jesus, are you nuts? They knew what they were doing. They knew they were going to kill you. And yet you had so much grace for them that you said, Father, forgive them for they don't actually know what they're doing. That's... In my logic of my brain, I go... Are you kidding, Jesus? Because seriously, they knew exactly what they were doing. They're guilty because they were the ones who nailed 
And yet Jesus looks at them with this incredible grace that he knows from the Father, from God himself. And he says, Father, forgive them for they really don't know what they're doing. This idea that the grace of God looks at us, even though we're deliberate sometimes in being mean to other people, maybe we're deliberate in, in, in some of our actions towards people around us. The grace of God says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I look at that and, you know, for me, I, I'm like, what would it look like? I ask myself, what would it look like for me to just have that kind of grace towards the people that I like? Let alone the people who are actually causing me harm and, and deliberately doing so. What would it look like for the church to be the kind of people who express that kind of grace and peace to the world around us? That we say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We don't, we're not the people who stand up and point the figure and judge and condemn, but we're the ones who express something of the heart of Jesus who saw those who had just crucified him. And he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I began to wrestle with that in my own heart. And this is probably a story about my journey and why the phrase, Grace and peace is so important to me. It's because I realized that Jesus, who scriptures declare are the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who holds the essence of what it means to be his disciple in his hands, what it means to be a follower and lover of God in his hands. And he declares... Father, forgive them. And he declared that to me. And like Paul, the least I can do is live my life as a testimony to the grace and the peace that I've tasted in Jesus. And so for us, the two things that, those two things come out for me is one, that we are people who live for grace and peace. In the same way Paul lived to testify about the grace of God, that we are people who have so tasted the grace and peace of God that we live for that, to express that, to demonstrate that, to testify of that to the world around us. And secondly, that that grace and peace would overflow in our lives of forgiveness. Forgiveness to those who are close to us, which you need forgiveness regularly for that. But more than that, for those who actually deliberately at times, or it seems like, set out to hurt us. That the grace and peace so flows out of our lives in forgiveness that we're able to demonstrate the same way Jesus did. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. that we would taste as individuals we would taste the grace and peace of God for ourselves but we wouldn't just taste on it taste it but it would so immerse our lives that everything that we say everything that we do everything in terms of how we live our lives demonstrates that to 
of the world around us. And so when we stand up, we might not use words that say the exact words grace and peace, but we're declaring through our lives that blessing over our communities, over our families, over our friends, and even those who would seek to do harm to us. That what flows out of us is a fullness of what we ourselves have tasted in Jesus. I've got another three things, but I'm going to talk about those next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you want to reveal to us through Jesus your grace and your peace. That you want us to experience the absolutely free expression of the love of God that's only motive is in your bounty and benevolence. And God, you want, to, want us to experience every kind of good in our lives, harmony, completeness, wholeness. God, for any of us here, including myself, where we're super conscious there are areas we need to taste more of that. God, I pray that you would reveal that to us, that you would minister that into our hearts by your spirit. God, help us to be carriers of grace and peace to the world around us testify of your goodness, to testify of your grace, to testify of your love and the peace that you have for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I bless you today, church, to know the grace and peace of our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.